Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello and welcome once again to the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. As always, I am your host, Luke Giaconetti, and we've got a doozy of an episode for you today. I hope everybody dug our last episode where we talked about IDW's Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters comic. I hope you uh, enjoyed the episode more than I enjoyed those comics, to be completely honest with you. Um, but, you know, that's why they make 31 flavors, because some people like crappy ice cream. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the 1980s Hasbro Sunbow co-production of The Inhumanoids. And this is a bit of a stretch for us, since uh, these giant monsters are not Japanese, but they certainly fit the Daikaiju mold, so... I think it's a good fit, and besides, I'm the only one who creates this show, so I kind of get to decide on content um, from a dictatorship standpoint. So uh, we are going to get right into it. We're going to be talking about The Evil That Lies Within, the original Inhumanoids miniseries, plus a little bit of information on the uh, uh, toy line itself. And we are going to get started on that right after this quick message. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Okay, welcome back, fellow monster fans, to the Earth Destruction Directive podcast. This uh, episode, we're going to be talking about the Inhumanoids, and in case you're not familiar with the Inhumanoids, let me give you a quick breakdown. The Inhumanoids were a toy and cartoon property that was created by Hasbro, the good folks who brought us Transformers and G.I. Joe and 
other similar uh, properties in the 80s. It started out, um, oddly enough, as a part of an anthology show called Super Sunday in 86. Um, essentially, this was a show that had four uh, different features that would be um, showcased in a seven-minute segment. The other three were a gem, Bigfoot and the Monster Machines, and Robotics. Now, Gem and the Inhumanoids were far and away the more popular of the, uh, of the four features, so they were then spun off into their own uh, TV shows. But the initial segments of this uh, from Super Sunday are what formed the original five-part miniseries for the Inhumanoids, which we're going to be talking about today. A little bit of uh, background. Our heroes are the Earth Core, who are a team of... Um, well-armed, let's just say, uh, geologists, and they are made up of Herc Armstrong, who is the leader, uh, Dr. Bright, who is the scientist, Augur, who is the uh, heavy machine and drilling expert, and Liquidator, who is their chemist. And they all wear big, bulky suits of uh, power armor, for lack of a better term, and they have a couple of large vehicles that they drive, the Trapper and the Earth Scout, which helps them dig under the Earth. Uh, they are opposed by the Inhumanoids, and uh, the Inhumanoids were big 14-inch tall toys, and they were extremely sought after but did not sell very well um, back in the day. They were, they were pretty expensive, but they're pretty awesome. The Inhumanoids are led by the demonic Metlar, who um, is very much at home in molten lava and other uh, magma-type environments. The um, shambling monster Tendril, who's sort of like a mix between like a vine creature and a mollusk. Um, he looks like something that H.P. Lovecraft might have dreamt up. And the zombie monster Decompose, who is known for shrieking, Decompose! Very frequently. And who has a ribcage that he can use as a prison. Uh, the rest of the line was rounded out by the Mutors, who are... Um, lesser monsters that are allied with the humans. And we had uh, t uh, three Mutor uh, figures that were repainted into different characters. We had the Redwoods, who are, um, as their name suggests, sentient uh, living trees. And these were repainted a couple of times. Then we had the Granites, who were, again, as the name implies, rock monsters. And then we had Magnacor, who is um, a Mutor that can split into two halves and represents two halves of a magnetic pole. Uh, north and South Pole, so he can generate an intense magnetic field. The toys were not very successful. They were only around for one year, but they're pretty neat. I have uh, Metlar and Tendril. I need to get decomposed, but I haven't found one at a good price. I'd like to pick up some of the Earth Core, but they're harder to come by than the monsters. So our story begins when what is thought to be the remains of a giant dinosaur are found preserved in a big block of amber in Big Sur National Park. Uh, it's recovered and put on display in San Francisco. But soon, the monster Tendril arises from San Francisco Bay and wreaks havoc on the city, uh, demolishing the amber and releasing Decompose. Uh, the two monsters turn back the military and Earth Corps' response and disappear into the bay. Liquidator goes to Big Sur to search for clues and finds the Redwoods, who tell Liquidator about how they and the other Mutors sealed Tendril and decompose in prisons under the earth, and that Metlar is imprisoned by Magnacor and his magnetic field, the only thing that Metlar is weak to. Tendril then attacks the Earth Core HQ, and the team gives chase under the earth. They run into the granites, 
but have to retreat back to the surface when the assault from uh, Tendril and Decompose proves too much. There, they're surprised to find that their funding is being revoked by Senator Masterson, who is in the pocket of shady businessman Blackthorn Shore. When you have a name like Blackthorn Shore, there's a good chance you're probably evil. We discover that Blackthorn is the one who, is really, who released Tendril and is looking to release Metlar for his own evil purposes. The Earth Corps are approached by Blackthorn's sister, Sandra, who offers to fund them to stock Blackthorn, provided she can accompany them. The Earth Corps then heads underground again, with Sandra in tow with her own suit of armor, as Tendril and Decompose then make their move to release Metlar. He's being held by Magnacor, but in the battle, the demon-like Metlar is freed. Blackthorn appears suddenly, sporting a battle suit just like the Earth Corps, because, you know, this sort of thing is easily to come by in a cartoon. We find out that Masterson stole the plans um, in the background. But he attempts to use his suit's magnetic field to control Metlar. Uh, Metlar will have nothing of it, swatting Blackthorn away. Things then go from bad to worse when Sandra is mutated into a giant zombie creature after being touched by Decompose. This is pretty freakish. It's one of Decompose's powers that whoever he touches can be mutated into a, uh, a Decompose-style zombie monster. Pretty heady stuff for an 80s cartoon. Earth Corps is forced to retreat once again, but they do make an alliance with the Granites and Redwoods to help battle the Inhumanoids. Herc goes to Decompose's domain, which is called Scaleweb, where he and his granite escorts are able to defeat Decompose's zombie soldiers and rescue Sandra. By exposing her to sunlight, they return her to her normal state. This is Decompose's main weakness. Meanwhile, Augur and Liquidator head to Infernak, which is Metlar's kingdom, but they are followed by Blackthorn, who once again tries to use his magnetic field and once again fails. Metlar forces Blackthorn to tell him about sources of power on the surface world, and Blackthorn is forced, because, you know, otherwise he's going to get eaten by a giant demon, about a catch of Soviet nuclear missiles that he knows about. Metlar leads the other Inhumanoids on a raid of the Soviet base and obtains a handful of the missiles. His plan is to detonate the planet's core, turning Earth into one giant molten wasteland. The Earth core rushes into action to stop the insane plan before the entire world is decimated. What can I say about the Inhumanoids? It's, um, it's an insane story. It, it's, it very much falls, under the, uh, yeah, in the foot, falls in the footsteps of shows like G.I. Joe and Transformers, where the plots were often outlandish, but they were a lot of fun. Um, we go from one plot point to the next, you know, fighting monsters and then giant trees and then rock monsters and, uh, you know, evil guys with suits of armor and uh, it's, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy, but it's a lot of fun to watch because there's a lot of creativity on display here. In a lot of ways, um, the evil that lies within, which is the um, kind of retro name given to the five-part miniseries, is your typical uh, five-part debut miniseries because it was intended to be edited together into five episodes. There's lots of cliffhangers. There's lots of twists and turns along the way. So it makes for fun viewing. You know, my this, my summary is probably a bit long, but there's a lot going on. I'd much rather have a lot going on than not a lot going on if we're going to be talking action cartoons. And let's face it, this is a cartoon about well-armored geologists fighting monsters. That's pretty much action-oriented right there. The animation's pretty decent for the era. It's about on par with uh, the other Sunbow animated series. Um, there's some interesting stylistic choices uh, in, in, in the series. 
we get a lot of shadow and a lot of darkness. Uh, the tendrils assault on San Francisco takes place at night, and there's a lot of heavy shadow um, used there. Pretty much any time we see Blackthorn Shore, except when he's wearing his armor, his face is covered in shadows, and he's you know the shadowy man speaking from the shadows. I sound like uh, sound like Andrew Leyland. There's always somebody lurking in the shadows. That's a terrible Andrew Leyland impression, by the way. You know, so that, that, that's neat. It does differentiate it. There's also a lot of use of um, split screen, splitting the screen into four smaller panels to show different uh, angles of an attack or something like that. Uh, this would, they'd use this on some of the other shows, but they seem to use it a lot on, uh, on Inhumanoids. The other thing that's standard about this being a Sunbow cartoon is the cast. Uh, you recognize just about every single person on here, and you'll recognize them as, hey, that's, Duke, that's Flint. You know, that's Starscream. Um, Chris, the late Chris Latta voices both Tendril and Decompose. Tendril just kind of growls and, and, you know, grumbles, whereas Decompose sounds like, in, you know, a monster version of Cobra Commander, which is, is funny in its own right. And uh, there are whole scenes early on where it's just Chris Latta talking to himself with Decompose and Tendril having a conversation. It's a good cast, though. It, again, Anyone who grew up in the 80s will, will approve of this cast. The, there's some, also, there's some absolutely great lines. At, at one point, um, Decompose and Tendril kind of betray Metlar because they're afraid if Metlar blows up the Earth, they're not going to have any place to live. And Metlar grabs both of them and goes, Do you fear death more than you fear me? I mean, you couldn't get away with that nowadays, man. But back in the 80s, you could bust that stuff out, no problem. Um... The one major complaint I have about it is that because this was a, again, originally debuted as seven-minute segments that were then edited together into 22-minute episodes, is that there's a lot of repeat, um, there's a lot of repetition, let me say it that way. As we come up to a, what would be a commercial break, when we come back from the commercial break, instead of going back a couple of seconds, they go back like 30 seconds. And this is because... When we went to a commercial break, we weren't coming back to Inhumanoids. We might be coming back to Gem. And so by the time we got back to Inhumanoids, it's been a while since we were at Inhumanoids. So we had to back up a little bit to refresh your, your viewer where they were. This is really only a problem in the first couple episodes. Towards the end of it, I think they got away from it. It crops up every now and again. It's, it's a little jarring, but it's not bad. And, and you know, it's an artifact of, of what it is. You know, I, I'd rather keep it as it was originally presented, so I can't, I can't fault it too much. And sometimes this can lead to a little bonus, because sometimes instead of just reusing the animation, they'll actually animate the scene again. So it'll be slightly different than it was the last time, make it a different angle or some different, uh, different dialogue or something like that. Um, which, again, it's, you take the pros and the cons with this sort of thing. It, it, it's, it, it was... Uh, a result of the format, so I don't blame it. It's just a little jarring. Um, overall, I really think this was a, a fun miniseries. Uh, I never saw this as a kid. I didn't see this until uh, Kid Rhino released the miniseries on DVD in the early 2000s, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and I, I wish I had seen this as a kid because I would have been even. I would have totally been into this. My brother had Metlar as a kid, and I wanted Tendril. I so wanted Tendril. But I never got it. The only reason my brother got Metlar was that they got him on clearance. Um, I finally got a Tendril years, years later. And actually, this is a, a funny story. In my parents' living room around Christmas time, um, in between the entertainment center 
and the bookcase where the majority of um, my dad's movies used to be stored. My dad is a huge movie collector. I think he's got something like 2,500 DVDs now. But they used to all be VHS tapes, and they used to also all be stored in this one bookcase. Anyway, so my mom uh, is big into the arts and crafts stuff, so she puts all of her artsy, craftsy, Christmassy stuff in front of this bookcase at Christmas time. And there's, you know, snowmen and Santa Clauses and all these guys that are, you know, they're all stand about 12, 14 inches tall, right? So one year, I've got 10 drill, and I put a little Santa cap on them, and I put them in there. And Mom didn't notice. My brother and I had a little running bet if she would notice, and she never spotted them. To this day, she denies it. She says, oh, I knew that monster was there the whole time, but she is lying, my friends. She is lying. Tendril was there, and she had no idea. Uh, Now, unfortunately, this series is out of print in the U.S. If you're lucky enough to live in the United Kingdom, in fact, probably most of Europe, I bet you could get it, they put out a uh, two-disc set with the entire series. Kid Rhino put out... Uh, one DVD that had these first five episodes. They put out a second DVD, which had the next four, but they never put out the final DVD to have the final four episodes. There's only 13 episodes of this series. So uh, I have the two that they released. I'm, I know that you can see the other ones on YouTube. In fact, you can see the whole series on YouTube if you want. But I, I'd really like to get those last four on DVD. At some point, I do want to talk about the next volume on the show. I'll, I'll, a couple of, you know, later on down the road, uh, we'll talk about the next volume of Inhumanoids. But uh, on first blush, this is a stupendously, consistently fun series. If you have any interest whatsoever in giant monsters, then you need to track down and watch the Inhumanoids. And if you can find some of the toys on eBay, I heartily recommend picking them up. I mean, uh, the Mutors are a little, some of them are a little weak. Magnacore is, inc- is an incredibly worthless toy. But if you can find Metlar, Tendril, or Decompose at a good price, get them because they display great they look great you know just big big bad monsters what else could you want out of that right and um even the the earth core toys look pretty neat because they're wearing their armor so you know they don't look like humans so much they're humanoid but they got big bulky armor on um of the earth core auger is my favorite auger is uh he's kind of the uh the sunbow stereotypical tough guy um there's a running gag where anytime senator masterson is on tv uh, he throws his shoe through the television. <laughs> and they're like, that's the third TV you've destroyed this week, or something like that. And, in fact, later on in the series, they actually rig up a net in front of the TV so that he can stop destroying their television. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, but, again, if, if you can uh, track this down, check it out on YouTube, give it a watch. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a, a fun flashback to a time when monsters were still uh, allowed to be monsters and not um, not more tame like they are today. And um things only get crazier from here i'll just throw it out there so uh check out inhumanoids if you haven't already seen it and if you have uh send me some email and we'll talk about inhumanoids some more in the future all right i am going to take a quick break and uh, play a promo for another fine quality podcast and i will be right back to finish up the show here on the earth destruction directive hey kids comics hey michael yes we have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. 
not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics, that's true, that's good. Liking it, liking this pitch, carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do, we talk about comics, we read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent, keep going. And then... We think... Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Aches Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Okay, we're back here on the Earth Destruction Directive. What time to close the show out now? I hold my hand. Some feedback in the form of blog posts uh, on the Earth Destruction Directive blog, and which can be found, of course, at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com, and I will give the email address at the end of the show. If you want to send feedback in, you can either email me or post it or hit me up on Twitter, whatever you want. Our first um, piece of feedback comes from an anonymous poster. Uh, who is referring to our previous episode where we talked about Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters from IDW, and our anonymous poster said, I pretty much agree with you all the way. Well, that pretty much says it all then, doesn't it? Thank you very much, uh, anonymous poster. I am glad that our thoughts uh, aligned when it came to Kingdom of Monsters. Um, and, you know, hey, if you want to give yourself a name next time, I'll gladly give you credit for your comment. Our next piece of feedback comes from J.R. Shear, and uh, this was also posted on the uh, blog, and again in relation to the Kingdom of Monsters episode. J.R. says, just listen to the episode. It's Shear. I appreciate that, J.R., and you'll notice I said it right this time. J.R. continues, I have to agree with you on both Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters and Godzilla Gangsters and Goliaths. What Powell was thinking when he wrote Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters, I don't know especially considering the outstanding quality of his The Goon series and the fact that he is genuinely a true G-fan. This is the first American comic that has secured the rights to multiple Toho monsters beyond Godzilla himself, so it's very disappointing to see that kind of potential squandered the way it has been thus far in Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters. JR, thank you for writing in. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the heck was going on with, with Powell and Kingdom of Monsters. The only thing I will say is that you know, Powell did hit the, uh, the fan circuit, so to speak, hyping Kingdom of Monsters, and he put himself over as a Godzilla fan, but there was one interview, and I don't remember where it was, and I'm sorry that this, this was last year, so I don't have the, the exact place. I don't know if it was Newsarama or an interview on, on IDW's side or, or something of that nature, where he made kind of a, a, an offhanded comment where he said that, well, really all the old Godzilla films are pretty much all the same. And it's like, no, that, that's not true. So part of me wonders if his uh, G-fan level, so to speak, was a bit overstated, that maybe um, Mr. Powell was, you know, kind of a casual fan and, and really wanted the opportunity to write something with Godzilla, but maybe isn't this big G-fan that he made himself out to be. And I don't have a problem with that. I'm not, I'm not saying that the only people who can write Godzilla are, you know, hardcore Daikaiju fans. You know, I, I, a lot of times getting an alternative take is a way to get uh, a new perspective on, on giant monsters and on the King of Monsters himself. Unfortunately, what we got in Kingdom of Monsters, I don't think was really what, well, certainly wasn't what I wanted, and judging from some of the feedback I've seen both here, uh, what JR said, and what I've seen on, like, IDW's uh, website, not what a lot of people wanted. So, um, God, Gangsters and Goliaths, on the other hand, has been fantastic. I just finished... Uh, issue number four, um, I think that came out a couple weeks ago, so I'm just waiting on number five on that one, 
And we're definitely going to be covering Gangsters and Goliath uh, here on the Earth Destruction Direct, a really good series. So I'm not going to say more right now. I don't want to um, I don't want to get ahead of myself before we talk about it on the show. JR, thank you very much for writing in. Um, any more feedback, please send it along. If you would like to have uh, your feedback read on the Earth Destruction Directive podcast, you can send me an email at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I do read and respond to every email I get. So uh, even if you just want to tell me, you know, the classic, Dear Luke, you are a pig, I'll be sure to hit you back on that. As I mentioned, the home of Earth Destruction Directive on the Internet is earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. There you can find links to all of our previous episodes, as well as leave a comment and uh, get mentioned here on the podcast. Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Ljacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And you can hear all of my 140 character or less uh, rantings and ravings, including those related to the Earth Destruction Directive podcast uh, there. And uh, as always, our episodes are hosted on archive.org. So if you do a search on Earth Destruction Directive at archive.org, you can find all of our previous episodes there. Uh, that is it for this time. So the burning question on all your minds is, Luke, what are we going to be talking about next time? Well, we've done enough of a detour, so I think we're going to get back on track with talking Godzilla movies. And I think since we did a show of film the last time we did a movie, we're going to do a Hesai film. We're going to do another film uh, from the second Godzilla series. And since Godzilla 1985 was our first Hesai film, it's only reasonable to expect our second Hesai film to be 1989's Godzilla vs. Biolanti. Um, this one, this one's kind of an, again, an odd duck to find. You can find bootlegs of it on eBay. You can find VHSs of it on eBay, but it's never been, as far as I know, released officially on DVD in the U.S. Worth tracking down, though, because this is a good one, and I'm going to have a lot of fun talking about this one. So, big-time favorite from when I was younger. So, come back and join us next time. We'll be talking about Godzilla vs. Biolanti. Uh, it's the middle of October as I record this episode, so I want to give everybody a shout-out and say have a happy and safe Halloween. Halloween has always been my favorite holiday. It's the only time of year that you're allowed to be a monster, and then people give you candy. Uh, if you can think of a better holiday, I'd like to hear it. Uh, so happy Halloween, everybody, and come back next time uh, when we're on the Earth Destruction Directive. Keep them stomping. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.